If you would, take your copy of God's Word, open with me to 1 John, the letter of 1 John towards the back of the New Testament. If you find Revelation, just flip forward shortly from there. Today we're beginning a new sermon series, and we're going to walk through this book together. And the focus of 1 John is the Christian life. And so that's where our focus is going to be as well. All right? Uh, true Christians are manifested by what they believe, how they relate to one another, by how they live. And so as we go through, introduction sermons are always kind of awkward. And so, because you want to give lots of background information, but that lives, leaves little time for actually dealing with passages. And so what I want us to do today is just overview the book. And then, just like, I want you to imagine it's late first century, and you received a letter from the Apostle John. Your church did. Our church did. You know when you opened it, you would not have just read the first two verses. You would have read the entire thing. And so this is very different, but today that's what we're going to do. We're going to overview this book and understand what it's about, and I'm going to give you things to look for even as we read it and as we uh, go through in the weeks to come, but then we're going to read it. And as we read it, I don't want you just to passively sit there and let it wash over you and maybe I've got things I want you to listen for. Mark down, circle, underline, take notes so that in the weeks to come, uh, as we study this together, we may all grow. I want us to see that uh, the Christian life is ultimately the outworking of the triune life of God in us. And so we, as adopted children of God, display and live out that we're part of the household of God. We're part of the family of God. And that's what John is going to set before us. John is going to give us a glimpse of what church life was like in the late first century. We're going to see problems that they faced, difficulties that, are, that, was there, that were there in Asia Minor. We're going to see issues in the Christian life. If you want to summarize John, not just 1 John, but all of John's letters, you would summarize it this way, assurance. So we're going to ask that question. We're going to ask it many times over the weeks to come. What is assurance? Uh, how can I have assurance? And so what is a Christian? What does a Christian look like? What's the identity of a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? How can you tell if you really are a Christian or if you're just professing it, if you're just saying that you are? So even now, you can pause and ask, am I a real Christian or am I just saying that I am? And then you ask the question, how do I know? Well, John is going to help us there as we go through it. Are you truly trusting Christ? Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Those are the kind of issues that John addresses in this sweet letter of his. It's a very timely diagnostic for us, not just the first century, but for us. Don Whitney had a wonderful book called Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And he had it, you, you read through the book and there's various questions just to ask, how is my spiritual life? How is, what's it look like? Is it even existing? Well, that's what John is doing in this letter. He's addressing those kind of things. And we're, and we're going to dive into them. There will be material for self-examination. How do I examine my own heart? What's it look like? And, and as we do that, as we examine ourselves, as we get a bit introspective, it's not meant to unsettle your faith. It's meant to establish your faith. It's meant so that you look inward and say, yes, I am a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Here, here is the evidence of that. So there in 1 John, just flip over a couple pages with me to chapter 5, verse 13. When I say that John is writing about assurance, I want you to notice this. As he's summing it up, as he's about to close the book out, he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So this pause, do you know you have eternal life? That's the purpose why John's writing this letter. Hope you all see it. It's to bolster your assurance. It's to uh, arrive at a place of assurance of faith. You compare that to John's gospel, because this is one of John's letters. Remember John's gospel? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us why he wrote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in writing the gospel, it wasn't for assurance of faith. It was an evangelistic purpose. He wanted you to come to faith in Christ. This is what he tells us in John 20, verse 31. These things I have written. So he's written this entire book, this entire gospel. He says, I've written these things. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he wrote his gospel the goal of him writing the gospel was evangelistic. He wanted you to become a believer. So today, is, whether you come here all the time or you're visiting, visiting for the first time, we want you to know that's also our goal. We want you to become a believer. We want you to trust in the Lord. I want you to hear this. This is our, our desire for you. If you're not a Christian, would you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you confess your sins and look to him and th that he would be your only hope? Would, would you follow Jesus as your king? He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And by believing in his name, John says, you have eternal life. In John 5, 13, it's not evangelistic, is it? The goal is assurance. These things 
So this letter, I have written to you who believe. So they already believe what he set out in, in the Gospel of John, right? They believed what he wrote before in the Gospel. I've written, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The goal, assurance. The goal, confidence in salvation. Do you have confidence that you're a believer today or not? What is that confidence grounded in? Just subjective feelings? Or someone told you? Or a preacher told you? Or you do religious things? Well, if you come here all the time, or you're visiting today, this too is our desire for you. If you're a Christian, we want you to know you not only... And this is a sweet thing for the Lord. You can know that you're a Christian. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe that on, ongoing fight with sin is there and you grow so discouraged and you don't know. You, you worry and you fret. I want you to know you can know that you are a Christian. You can have assurance of that so that when trials come, you don't make shipwreck of it. And you don't turn away from it, but you continue in it. First John explains, the Christian life is essentially fellowship with the triune God. And through that fellowship, now we have fellowship one with another. All true Christians have this fellowship together. So, we ask these kind of questions. How do I have fellowship with, with God? What's that look like? I ask you now, how do you know you have fellowship with the triune God? Is it, does your face glow? Or do you smile all the time? No, that's not how you know you have fellowship with God. In fact, John is going to give us some tests. Do you think, ah, I'm a Christian because all my problems have disappeared? I want to tell you, you're probably not a Christian if that's what you think. Because <laughs> they don't disappear. But John's going to give us tests. How do I know? How do I know? He's going to give us three tests. A doctrinal test, a relational test, and a moral test. That test of doctrine is this. Do you believe what the gospel says about Jesus Christ? Do you believe what the apostles have taught about Christ? The relational test is this. Do you love the brothers? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love the, your fellow family members in the family of God? Do you have real love for fellow Christians? Are you mutually committed to one another? Do you have life together? The moral test is this. Are you living in accordance with God's word and will? Are you living as he directs? In his word, John shows that true sonship, far from being a passive state of, of subjective feelings, true sonship mobilizes us for service and for love and for obedience and for belief. He, he gives these tests. And so in the weeks to come, we'll walk through those tests. Today, you will see them. One of the hallmarks of John 
He's going to show how the Christian life flows out of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So if I am to live the Christian life, where does the strength from that come from? It comes flowing from the person and work of Jesus Christ as I am strengthened by the very Spirit of God. Is that what your Christian life looks like? Or is it a Christian life in, in word only? I think it, Jerry Hogue's the one who says, I've heard him say several times, I might drive a truck that says Hogue's plumbing, but that does not make me a plumber. Do you say you're a Christian? But is there anything to back that up? Well, John offers the test for that, and we will see that. The other thing that we're going to see is that John faces, and he, he addresses false teachers. That there are false teachers here at the end of the first century. He's addressing these false prophets. And, and these false teachers are having all kinds of effect in the church. Attitudes are being produced that are not biblical and are harmful to the people of God. The one idea that doctrine is not important. These would have been the kind of people who said things like, doctrine divides, but experience, that unites. And this was harmful, and John's going to address it. We're going to see that their teaching was different than the apostles' teaching. Remember last week, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? Well, at some point, at least by the time John writes his letter, there's some people departing from the apostles' doctrine. They're leaving it. They would have had the idea, and, and we pick this up from John's letter, that it's more important, not so much what you believe about Jesus, but that you say you're a Christian. So who Jesus really is doesn't really matter. But just say that you're a Christian. That's what matters. That, uh, and so... We should do this. We should examine what do we really believe about Jesus Christ, about who he is, and about what he has done. Do you, and I ask you now, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus? Well, I ask the children in the room, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus? Or just what mommy and daddy have said, or your Sunday school teacher has said? Or do you believe what the Bible says? Hopefully they're the same thing, but it's not always the case. Many of these false teachers that John addresses, they're suggesting we need to rethink the apostles' teachings about Jesus. And so John's going to write that about that. He's going to address that. These false teachers, they're suggesting there are other ways to know God other than through Jesus. These false teachers are introducing new teachings. They, that, hey, our new teaching really holds the key to experiencing who God is. Hey, the apostles didn't even know this, but it's been revealed to us. And if you get the secret that we have, then you'll know what a full life really means and what real joy is and what real contentment and fullness is. But, but you've got to know my secret. The text doesn't say this, but I can really hear them say, and for 1995, 
I'll send it to you. John, he's writing, he's going to respond to them. These false teachers are discounting self-denying love. They're discounting uh, world-denying godliness. They're discounting Christ's perfect life, perfect obedience, Christ's exalted faith, and they are discounting the authority of God's holy word. John writes to address these kind of problems in this little book. He writes to refute false teaching and to encourage maturity in the faith, assurance of the faith, a certainty of hope. So before we hear God's word, and we're going to pray that God blesses the reading of his word, that God's spirit would illumine our minds as we hear it read, and for the weeks to come as we preach through this book, Here's some questions for you as we read it. I want you to read it with listening ears. As you read along with me, I want you to read it with pens marking. So, first off, when you examine a book or a letter, you examine the whole thing. No one in here had a love letter from their spouse and they stopped after the first line. You read all the way through the I love you and the P.S., 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 hugs, kisses, hugs, kisses. We all did. Nobody stopped in the first paragraph. So we're going to read the whole thing. And as we read it, I want you to pay close attention. What are the main ideas that John is talking about? And, and, and how is it expressed? What feeling is there? What, what feelings does John communicate to the church there and among the church there in Asia Minor? I want you to, maybe you come to a section as we're reading and you say, put a star by it because I want to come back to this section and read this again because it's really full. I didn't, I didn't catch it all in one reading. Mark it. I want you to remember who's writing. Here's a trick question. Who wrote the letter of 1 John? John! Give, give the man the prize. John. Remember John's, John was, a, he, he and his brother, they had a nickname. Do you remember what that was? Boanerges, Sons of Thunder. So I want you to read this and say, where, does that, does that attitude, does that, characteristic of John's personality come out in this letter? Look for it. Also, if John wrote this, what other um, attributes of John's personality? Maybe to balance out that son of thunder attitude are you going to see. Look for that. Look, look for the feelings that John has towards the reader. Identify that. Look for contrast as we read this. For example, here's a couple. There's lots of them. Light and darkness. Look for that. Or Christ and Antichrist. Look for that. There's lots of contrast in this book. As we read it, mark them out. Identify them. John's going to describe things that we know and how we know them. Look for that. Look for repetition. Repetition is there because it's emphasized. 
I'll give you a heads up. He's going to say you should love one another a lot. And you know why he tells you that? A lot? Because you should love one another. Look for those repeated phrases, key words, ideas that he repeats and he emphasizes. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Lord, this is your holy Word. It is eternal and true. Truth unchanged and unchanging. So, Lord, would you help us to receive it as your Word? Would you help us to believe it as your revelation and truth? To understand it by your Spirit, Lord, as we read it together today. And Lord, as we dive into this word in the weeks to come, Lord, would you grant to us grace to embrace this word by faith. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Follow along with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our hands, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. For the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way 
in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the, in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, 
we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. If you know that he appeared in order to take away sins in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
And this is his command, that we believe in the name of the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is, is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But love we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he cannot see. 
and this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony that God, of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.
This ends the reading of God's Word. Scott.